I'm going to open up in a word of prayer, and, uh, and this is the concluding sermon for our Lead Spiritually uh, series, and next week we're going to have a forum Sunday. So it's going to be full discussion on how we lead spiritually, and this discussion that we have on Slack is actually a big part of how we grow spiritually. This is about what you contribute in the discussions is actually monumental for your own spiritual formation and development. This is how it works. And so whether you engage today in the sermon by putting out thoughts or other concerns or jokes, whatever you put out on Slack, this is how you're being formed. Your engagement does it. And next week during the... Um, during the forum, we love your comments, whether you're at home or whether you're here. We love your comments. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, it is because of you that we're able to lead. It truly isn't because we are qualified or competent or special or educated enough or whatever, because the disciples consistently were told, oh, isn't, aren't these people so uneducated? Where did they get their authority? So God, we know that it isn't our status in culture that makes us qualified to lead, but it's you. So Holy Spirit, we pray that in today's message, and as we discuss on Slack, as we discuss in our hearts, as we hear your word, God, I pray that we would be stirred and that we would understand who we are and who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's, there's a really, really awkward word. Um, I, I, I discovered it when my previous lead pastor, Pastor Fred, he said, I need you to study discipleship, and that's not the awkward word. I need you to study discipleship because we need to create a discipleship model that we're going to run the entire church through. That's great. Wonderful. And we discovered that the normal rhetoric for discipleship is you have a disciple and then you have a a you have a disciple, and then you have a mentor. No. You have a disciple, and you have a teacher. No, a discipler. That's not a word. It's a something. You, it's the person that disciples the other person, okay? Just stop. And, and that's what you have. You've got this, this discipler. Why? Why do we have this gap in the English language? Why do we have this like lack of a word? It's like, what are we trying to say here that we're so afraid of saying that it just feels all wrong? Well, I had to do some studying. I had to figure out where this comes from. And I discovered that the word disciple isn't a Western word. In fact, I would argue that the word wouldn't even be in English use today if it wasn't for the Bible. I mean, when was the last time you went to a school and somebody said, look at my disciples? 
right? When was the last time you went into, into, a, into a, a, a factory and somebody was like, I have a whole crew of disciples that I disciple because I'm the discipler. It's not there. We don't have it. The word is gone. The only reason we have it inside the four walls of the church is because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Great, let's do that. I don't even know what it is. And so we're stuck with this word that didn't come from our culture. It came from another culture. So let's go back to the other culture for a minute. The word disciple is actually common practice in an Eastern culture. You make disciples. You have disciples. And so what is it? What do we do? Well, sometimes what we've done is we've reduced it to being a student or an apprentice. Okay, so if it's an apprentice then all you're doing is you're taking the vocation of the person and you're trying to learn that vocation. That's apprenticeship, right? You're learning a new vocation. You're, you're practicing with it. I, w I was tempted at one point in my life to go into carpentry, and so there was a carpenter that, I, that, that entrusted me to come and follow along, and I learned that I hated sanding because that's what he had me doing. He had me sanding stuff for finishing work, and I was terrible at it. I didn't know it was a skill that you needed. I was awful at sanding. I'd be like doing this and the grain's going wrong way. And oh man, it was awful. And so he started to apprentice me and then he realized I was a hopeless case and said, go pastor. <laughs> but we've conflated to disciple with apprentice. It's a line process. It goes straight up like this. Here is, your, here is the apprenticer. We don't like hierarchy words, do we? And here's the apprentice. And, and you teach, and then you teach, and then you teach, and then, right? And that's how trades get passed on. Sometimes we end up with faux glass window because we forgot how to do real glass window. That's not a slam. It's actually a complete separate, right? We've forgotten how to do things. Because discipleship, because apprenticeship. Okay, so we, we brought these. So let's actually, let's think about Confucius for a moment. Anybody ever heard of a dude named Confucius? Confucius had disciples. What does a disciple of Confucius do? A disciple of Confucius lives to practice every element of Confucius's life to become just like him. He has a title. Confucius had a title. That title was given to him by his disciples. And do you know what they called him? It's super offensive in our Western world. They called him master. The one who is above the disciple is the master. Well, you can see why we've replaced that word pretty quick. You see why in the West we don't use the word master, we created this discipler word. Well, because it's been abused so much, that word master has been so ripped through, just mire and, and terrible stuff has, has gone under that word master. But, but when we look at discipleship in Christianity, we know that the pastor is not master. We know that the 
person that you look up to is not master, but Jesus is master. You are called into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, who is the master. It is a direct line, direct imitation of Jesus. That's what discipleship is. It's direct imitation of Jesus. And we call Jesus master, not in some slave trade language, but in the concept that Jesus mastered life and death. Jesus has mastery over it. He has mastery over life. When people follow Confucius, they do exactly as he did. They pour their tea ceremonially, ceremonially the exact same way that Confucius did. They take every, every single detail into account. This is how it was done by our master. This is what we must do. We must iterate this as well as we can. We must seek to understand it. Jesus did exactly that. He modeled for us what it is to be master over life and death. Do exactly as Jesus did. Pour tea the way that Jesus poured tea. Or we have records of Jesus turning water into wine. Let's do that. We do what Jesus did. So a tough conversation I, I had with, with someone. They said, they said if, if God's so faithful to do everything, then what's our occupation? We were walking along the street one day. And I was talking about how God's doing so much and he's discipling us. He is the master. He's the one changing us. He's the one at work in our hearts. And they said to me, they said, well, then what's the role? What am I supposed to do with my life then? I mean, if God's doing everything, then God's just going to fix me and whatever. It's just going to come. I'm just going to keep on doing. No, no. Your primary role is to become like Christ. To become like Christ. Someone on Slack says they are a master of potato salad making. Someone who might be related to this individual argues. <laughs> and so, so we become like Christ. That is your occupation. What do you do? You imitate what you have seen Christ do. Oh, well, I didn't see, I didn't see Jesus face to face. Okay, you're right. He walked on earth 2,000 years ago. I didn't see Jesus face to face either. But when I was 14 years old, and I was not very strong in my faith at 14 years old, I started realizing that there's things that I don't know. At 14, there's things that I don't know. I'd sit in church and be like, I don't really understand what's going on. And I don't know whether it was the Holy Spirit or just pure logic that said, if you don't understand what's going on, go to the source. We read our Bible. Wait, wait, wait. I have one, one up for you. If you don't know what Jesus did in his life, if you, can't, if you can't delineate what Jesus did, you can't imitate what Jesus did. That rhymed, so it must be true. 
If you can't delineate what Jesus did, I don't care how old you are, you can't imitate what Jesus did. And so if, you, if you're at a place where you're saying, I can't do this well enough, I can't satisfactorily describe Jesus' life in order for me to imitate Jesus' life, I need you to join Ron Dyer's Life of Christ class on Wednesday, starting this Wednesday. You need to be there. It's your number one occupation to become like Christ. And if you don't know what Christ was like, how are you going to do what God has called you to do? I don't know, maybe that just is too obvious, but if you can't, if, if you don't know what Jesus' life was, and so Ron's going through Jesus' life in order, well, that's helpful. He's just taking scripture and putting it in order. Oh, look at that. And then we get to discuss it. Oh, that might affect my life because of this. I'm imitating Christ. But in this, we're all called to be spiritual leaders. Every single one of us is called to be a spiritual leader. Every single one of us, if we could go to the slide here, every single one of us is, it'll come up soon, has Christ at the center we need Christ to be at the center. We need to know Christ and his power. We need to be right there, focusing in on Christ. Someone just pause for a second. You can engage this on Slack. Someone just asked an important question. Did Jesus put the tea bag in before the water? Or the water before the tea bag, because this is a very important discussion. So we imitate Christ. We can answer that on Slack, please. I do want a conclusive answer by the end of service. Thank you. <laughs> to the degree we've broken the word discipleship, we're allowing ourselves to settle with much less than we're called to. So the map is an, overflow, an overview of where we are, where we've journeyed, and where our friends are. When we're like Christ, we start to be a spiritual leader because guess what? That's what Christ was, a spiritual leader. And so we will lead spiritually when we do that. Now, let me bring it out in one story that breaks into two parts, and then we're going to be done. Acts 16, 25 to 34. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately, all of the doors were open, everyone's bonds were unfastened, and when the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself because we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and he said, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? A moment of spiritual leadership. We have a prophetic action in our life. A prophetic action. Prophetic means that we're doing that which God does. We are actively imitating Jesus. 
We're doing what God does. So Paul and Silas are doing what God does. And, and think about this. Paul and Silas, are con they convinced the prisoners who were in jail, probably awaiting death, they convinced prisoners, oh no, I know that it looks like you're free, but just stay here. Just wait here. Just, no, 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 don't go. I know, I know, I know. Doors are open. Opportunity knocks. Free to live a new life. Free to escape. You'll never be discovered. No, just wait here. Holy moment of leadership. Just, just do what goes against the culture. And so Paul and Silas, they've got prophetic action. Their prophetic action communicates the gospel message when was the last time you did something that accurately represented, this isn't a guilt, this is actually take account, that accurately represented something that Jesus would have done? There's tons of times you do it. There's tons of times you do it. When you choose to be honest, you do what Jesus would do. When you choose to, to live life to the full, you do what Jesus would do. So your actions communicate the welcoming place for people to discover God. We have prophetic action with our love for each other. Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other inside your church. By, by the way you love each other inside your church. That's a sign to the world. It is a prophetic action. When you can walk up to somebody in the church who you have no other means of communicating with or no other common ground with except for Jesus. Guys, there are people in this church that your life history would have never brought you into my life. We don't walk parallel lives until Jesus. And now we can love each other. Don't take that for granted. That's the work of God. We communicate with people who we are most like. So we will love each other. It's not normal for us to gather in the same place, and we're not all homogenous. We're not all the same. We have prophetic action in our community at large. We're going to be doing our prayer walk, and don't think for one moment that even though this adoptive street will not put you into confrontation with anybody, you can do it independently, do not think for one moment that this action will be ineffective. It is a prophetic action. God's walk. God walks. God prays. Jesus prayed when he walked here on earth. Okay, we'll pray. We'll do that. That's a prophetic action. We're called to it in our community at large and also in our grant programs. We have a grant program that's running right now or attempting to run. It's, it's pulling through right now. And we're trying to gather plastic bags for the loft community. And it's so little, it's so small, but they use these plastic bags and they're having a problem sourcing them because environmental stuff. But they use them to give out, to give out food to homeless people. And so we're collecting these, these bags. If you have bags, you can bring them next Sunday. We'd love to just get a million of them. Just gather them in so that people who have housing insecurity are able to have food at least. It's so important that we continue to engage in Promise Grants because it's our prophetic action in our community. We do it under the banner of Promise Church, which is under the banner of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's continue the story because Paul and Silas just did a prophetic action, but it continues on, Acts 16, 31 to 34. And they, and they said, Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke 
the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. And all of his family, then he brought them up to the house and set food before him, and he rejoiced alongside the entire household that he had believed in God. We have a prophetic voice. So you have prophetic action, meaning that your actions represent that which Jesus would do. You have a prophetic voice empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak what Jesus would say. How do you know what Jesus would say? Because you went to the life of Christ on Wednesday night and you know exactly what Jesus would say. <laughs> Wednesday evening, I was in Winnipeg. And I was there for a, a district conference and I learned a whole bunch of stuff. Winnipeg is not in a good place, especially downtown Winnipeg. I've never seen a city so run down. There was poverty and crime everywhere. It was told to us were all these pastors coming in from all over the country to this one place, and we had a 600-meter walk from the church that we were meeting in to our hotel. And we were told, do not walk that alone. You will be robbed. Oh, so I walked it alone. No, I didn't. So I'm walking back from the church with a minister who works in Windsor. And Kevin's a really good guy. I'm walking back with him. And we're just chatting about what God's doing in our heart and how great that service was. It was just lovely and all of a sudden, poor person in front of us. Cool. Kevin responds, gives him some money, offers to pray for him. The guy's like, no, 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 I hate God. Okay, that's fine. Cool. Can I give you a hug? Gave him a hug. You know, it was just, what would Jesus do? Jesus would, would love to the extent that was allowed, that was received. So he just gave him a hug, said, God bless you, I'm going to keep praying for you. Not 10 steps later, we're accosted by this woman who's crying, this young woman. This, she's 24 years old, and her name is Nevada. And she comes up to Kevin and myself, and she's crying. And her sister is right beside her saying, leave them alone, leave them alone. And she's crying, and she keeps on coming, and she's coming at us, and she grabs my hand, and she says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's clearly just been in an Avril Lavigne concert. True fact. And so she's, she's just apologizing over and over and over again. And so I say, I say, what are you sorry for? And she says to me, I'm not joking. There was nothing precipitating this whatsoever. She says, I'm sorry that I had a stillborn baby. Oh, next level. Okay. Ah, uh, I'm so sorry as well. 
you know, God loves you, and he wants you to know that. Bawling, just bawling. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, you guys could go, I didn't mean to stop you, I didn't mean to stop you. Okay, well, you know, we believe in Jesus, and we believe that God works in really, really bad situations. Can we pray with you? Yes, okay, okay, you can pray with me, yeah, yeah. We pray for her. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bother you like this. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. We just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Apparently, we weren't done because she said, it was my dad. <sighs> How old are you? I'm 24. Jesus. Give me words. We have a prophetic voice. We have a moment that we're able to speak the truth and the love and the compassion of Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus would have done. And so Kevin and I spent the next five minutes explaining her to the gospel of Jesus explaining that, that God is with us in the person of Jesus and that he's going to make all things right and that what she's experienced is not right and that God wants to be with her and love her and be with her. We have a prophetic voice. It's not always that dramatic. I didn't expect that. Kevin and I walked away and I said, Kevin, is that your normal ministry style? And he went, no. <laughs> Mine either. I had no idea that was coming. We walked away. We're like, I don't know what God's going to do with Nevada. But I prayed for Nevada every night since Wednesday. Maybe that prayer burden will pass on to somebody else and God will take care of her because I'm not in Winnipeg. I can't do that. God can. We have a prophetic voice. We say things. Someone on Slack just said, we're making it pretty complicated. Jesus wanted to do what's best for the other. That's it. Yes! Okay, that! Do what Jesus would do. You have unchurched friends who are passionate about social justice issues. Where's Jesus in that? Point out where Jesus is. That's spiritual leadership. Jesus is on your side here. Yeah, he cares about the poor and the broken and the destitute. You have friends that think that they're so guilty that they could never walk into the presence of God because lightning's going to strike them. Guaranteed, you have friends that are like that. They are terrified of coming into a God moment because they're going to cry, they're going to bust open, and everybody's going to see them for who they are. Yep. God's making it right in you. He's going to do it. Let's come to Jesus. You have friends that you can simply speak the word of the Lord to, as it said in our text, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. The people wouldn't know unless the actions and the speech came together. And that's where the comment about you're making it too complicated needs to land. Right here. There's action, and actions without speech 
is confusing. And speech without action lacks integrity. Become a disciple of the master who brought both together, speech and action, and allow your voice to be heard. I love sports. Sometimes I spend watching, I'm reading from Slack, and I learn all the stats. If I love money, and I spend time making, making it and studying how to make it. If I love my spouse, I spend time with her, and I spend great energy learning all about her. If I love Christ, and if I'm grateful for what he's done in me and for me, I spend time learning about him and his teaching so that I could be like him. We're to be like Jesus. We don't replace Jesus. We're to be like Jesus. Imitate him. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, it is too much for me to be like Jesus, and I know the pressure of perfection that people will feel, that, that the enemy will start to say, you're not good enough to be like Jesus, and he's sowing it all over the place. You're not good enough to be like Jesus. Look at what you did last night. Look at the way that you spoke to that person. You're not good enough to be like Jesus. And a disciple is a disciple and not a master, is what you would say to that. A disciple is, is a disciple and will always be a disciple and is not the master. You are to imitate Jesus. But we're not there, but we do our best to focus our energy and attention to become more and more like you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts that we would get it with grace. Understand that no, we're not going to be perfect. I know what I have done. But God, I want to imitate you. In those moments on the street in Winnipeg when I was talking to Nevada, I didn't know for sure if I got it right. I just tried. And God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to just try. That we wouldn't be so caught up in our self-consciousness that we're not good enough, but that we would just have the boldness to try. To become more like you. In Jesus' name, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you're not done with us yet. Amen. God bless you guys. We look forward to hearing from you in the forum next week and, uh, and being part of that discussion. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.